You're listening to Crossings Conversations from Church Divinity School of the Pacific, a show about leaders creating Christian community and sharing God's love. This is Kyle Oliver, Communications and Marketing Manager at Church Divinity School of the Pacific, and I'm here with the Right Reverend Diane Bruce, Bishop Suffragan of the Diocese of Los Angeles. Bishop Bruce, thanks so much for being with us. It's so good to be here. So this is a conversation about leadership formation and uh, the future of leadership formation in the Episcopal Church. And so uh, for starters, uh, we're curious, uh, as, a, as a bishop, um, how, has, how has your thinking about leadership formation perhaps uh, changed in the time that you've been serving in your position? Well, I think, I think especially given the last couple of years and the swiftly changing demographics that we're all going through, um, at least on the coasts, I'm seeing that that in terms of formation, uh, my the best formed clergy that I've seen are ones that are very comfortable in a multicultural setting, and that's you know that's not it's not about having somebody being able to say the mass in Spanish. It's not that. It's about really understanding culturally where people are, and being able to bridge and build within that within that context um you can have multiple you can have multiple cultures within one congregation but but you've got to be able to bridge and have a common language um and and be able to translate not necessarily from one language to another but from one one way of understanding to another where where people are uh so so i'm seeing that from some of the seminaries that I've seen most recently, the ones that are the uh, are most uh, successful, for the lack of a better term, are ones that can bridge that bridge those gaps. Hmm. Uh, and and what I see is that we really need to start forming leaders to be able to bridge those gaps because that these gaps are going to continue to become more and more of a part of who we are and who we engage with within our our community contexts. Yeah. And are there, um, are there particular um, practices of, of that sort of like intercultural being um, uh, intercultural leadership that, um, that, that you have, that you've seen be particularly effective? I'm, I'm curious um, if we could just sort of drill down a little more on that and um, like how, how, how do you, how do you know that when you see it um, in, in a new leader? Well, usually it's somebody that's willing to listen and re- I mean, really listen, not just have to have the answer right away. Mm. Somebody, somebody that can listen and be there um, and stand in and, and understand sometimes that silence is okay, right? Because for some cultures, being silent is communicating. Mm. And mm. so being able to read that and not just kind of jump in and try to solve it. Um, solve whatever or um, deal with whatever. Uh, also, we've done something here called Asian immersion experience, especially Asian immersion experiences. So we've had a series of them for the various Asian uh, communities that we have living in the Diocese of Los Angeles, just to make clergy and lay leaders who are finding the demographic around their church is shifting, to be able to understand culturally what might be sensitive or not sensitive for someone and culturally uh, how to, how to communicate in a clearer manner. Mm-hmm. 
so anyway, so we, those have been those have been pretty successful, and they've been actually fun to do because they always inv- it always involve food. You see, anyway, <laughs> um, which actually actually food is the great equalizer, right? So if you mm. want to really get to know somebody, you share a meal, uh, and then you have them talk about what their favorite foods are, and then you really you really start to understand. I think at a deeper level. Um, mm. Also, also, um, I've been talking about for a while having a cultural competency requirement Hmm. for people to be almost, and I I hate to use the term certified, Hmm. but, but to really be able to engage in that work Hmm. and, and be, um, become, become the beloved community. Right. Hmm. And I think part of this is Kyle is really inviting the church into an expanded understanding of what beloved community is. Hmm. And, and, um, Yes, and and uh, I get all excited when I think about that um, because I I uh, I'm the bishop in charge of what we call new community or what we used to call multicultural ministry, mm-hmm. and I think it's I think it's my favorite thing mm-hmm. because it's 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 just it's ama- it's amazing it's amazing um, and it's about dealing with issues between cultures, but I think a, a well trained clergy person or a well trained lay person can help build those bridges mm-hmm. so that we can really be together as a beloved community. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. I, I I'm wondering uh, just cause I was so intrigued. Can you tell us a little more about like what uh, you mentioned the uh, Asian American uh, immersion days, maybe I've got the, gotten the title slightly wrong. Um, but what is it, what is a, what is a, what does an event like that look like? Uh, you mentioned food. Um, what else, what else happens, um, in one of those experiences? Well, uh, we've done a part A and a part B so far for Chinese, Korean, Filipino. Hmm. And so what we've done is to bring people together to talk about immigration history, talk about, um, culture, to talk about language, uh, to talk about the fact that just because someone is Chinese does not mean they speak the same dialect as the person sitting next to them. Mm -hmm. And just because they speak the same dialect does not mean politically or culturally they're coming from the same place. And so just to, you know, that kind of awareness and then, uh, uh, and then talking about music, cult, you know, other, other forms of culture, and some of the driving forces within those communities in terms of how they see the world hmm. to try to help people understand um, why someone might react a certain way. Hmm. It's been fascinating to see how people respond. Um, and uh, at one point, there was, there was a, uh, a very heated conversation between uh, two of our presenters in the Chinese portion because one was from Taiwan, one was from mainland China, mm-hmm. and one started talking about the sovereignty of Taiwan, and that just raised the hackles of the other one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these two people are friends. Mm-hmm. They're friends, you know, they get along. But the people that were sitting there watching this got to see that just because you're speaking the same language does not mean you're you're on the same page yeah and so um so that was actually that was actually a really good one because it was like the ultimate example of how things can go wrong quick 
Um, and then I stepped in and we calmed the situation down and I got a chance to explain what was going yeah. on. Um, yeah. And then the other, the other one I think that was really wonderful was a conversation within the Filipino community about the fact that there are different, there are different Filipinos. We have indigenous Filipinos within, within the Philippines and within this country um, that kind of the, the culture, the, of the language, things are different. And so we were able to talk about that and, and experience a little bit of that. Uh, and then in the Korean community, we were able to have a really strong conversation about the Korean notion of Han. And so, which really undergirds a lot of uh, Korean uh, thought, Korean action, Korean, Korean ways of being. So in doing those things, we were able to impart to uh, people whose churches whose demographic is changing around them a sense of who might be there. Um, a, a big problem that happens is that uh, is that if somebody is Asian and they come to the door of a church, I have heard on more than one occasion clergy say something like, "Hi, where are you from?" And the person will say, "Omaha." Yeah. And then the clergy person or a lay person will say, no, 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 no. Where are you from? Right. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, wow, you speak English really well. Well, mm -hmm. I was born here. Um, so it's being sensitive to that kind of dynamic uh, that that we really need to, I think, instill, especially in our clergy uh, mm -hmm. to to help them become the leaders that the church really needs them to be at this time. Mm -hmm. yeah. Curious for some stories from, um, you know, kind of new leaders, however you want to uh, define that. Um, maybe it's seminarians, maybe it's uh, recent graduates, uh, people new to the diocese. I'm just curious about um, stories, stories of new leadership that have you feeling hopeful uh, about, the, about the church. Yes. Um, there's one particular new rector that we have in the diocese. He took a very complex disjointed system and slowly through relationship building and common sense and amazing planning is shifting this whole kind of, uh, this whole um, mix of different ways of doing things under one church roof mm. into consistent, relationship-based, open communication, transparent mm. um, ways of being. Mm. And he's done it in about a year. He wow. still has work to do, but just his, just the way he's, he goes in and he listens mm. and he listens and then he starts to talk. So it's, he builds the relationship. He listens and then he can get people to journey with him going forward. Hmm. Um, and it's been, it, I'm watching what's coming out of this and groups within that congregation that would not necessarily talk to each other. People are, people are talking and interacting. Hmm. Um, and they're actually doing things from a business, business perspective in a much more holistic way. So I'm excited to see what could happen or what's going to be happening there. So that's probably my most exciting one. Um, but it's all built on relationship building, deep listening, 
having a, a good understanding of systems hmm. and working together to move everybody forward to the glory of God. Hmm. And uh, from young parishioners to old parishioners, people are telling me that he's rocking it. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's a great story. Thank you. Thank You're welcome. You. Okay. Um, I want to invite you now to, um, to really think big. Uh, this is our kind of imaginative outside the box um, question. We're curious uh, about a, about a, a new course, a needed course, a creative course, however, whatever direction you want to go with it. Um, if someone asked you to either commission or, you know, invite or, or co-teach um, some kind of special topics course um, with, with any instructor for today's seminarians, um, uh, who would you invite to teach it? And, uh, and what would you call the course? Oh, that's so easy. Oh, that's so easy. Okay. <laughs> Mike, I would invite Michael Bruce Curry to join me in a class mm -hmm. entitled Beloved Community, Let's mm. Do This. Mm. Mm. Beloved Community, Let's Do This. Um, because we have to do it. We have to do this work. But Michael is so clear and so fun. Um, and he can go deep. And this is, the way I, this is the reason I love him. He can go very, very deep. But he never makes you feel like you're drowning. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we need to be able to present a, a vision of beloved community in a way that inspires our, the leaders of this church, the new leaders of this church, the future leaders of this church, that we can bring them along so that we can actually fulfill God's dream for the world, so that we can be um, truly the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement, welcoming everyone. Um, so that would be my course. Hmm. So, um, so for uh, I, I'm hesitant to ask this as a follow-up question because um, I, I think if if um, if people listening to this haven't learned a bit about beloved community uh, in uh, in the last few years, um, that 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 might be problematic. But but let me let me ask it anyway. How? How would you describe um, how would you describe beloved community and its um, and its and its um, incarnation in the in the Episcopal Church? What what I'm talking about here is really uh, a almost a reconciliation based mm. way to build community. Mm. Part of it is on that you know doing that deep listening being culturally competent, multiculturally competent, but also about inviting people into the work of how to be together and how to care for each other, even when you disagree. Hmm. Um, I think disagreement is always going to be an issue for any, any, any church, right? Because we, we don't have two people to think the same way ever. Um, but also about how do we how do we communicate? How do we welcome? Uh, how do we engage? How do we invite? Um, there's all kinds of aspects of this that we need to start to embrace as an Episcopal Church, because with the way the changing demographics are going, for example, in the Diocese of Los Angeles, uh, we very shortly are not going to be, or, or we very shortly will have forty. 4% of our demographic 
Um, hold on. <laughs> the binder's coming out. The binder's coming out. It's estimated that by 2023, less than 33% of the population making up the area of the Diocese of Los Angeles will be white. Hmm. So most growth in the coming years will be in the Asian population. Hispanics, Latinos outnumber whites today in the region 45% to 33%. Mm-hmm. But yet we tend to only see our community as people that look like us, not understanding that our neighborhoods, the beloved community is really what what is what is reflected in our neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what we have to build and work on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That does that make sense? I say beloved community because I'm thinking, you know, it's it's all it's all part of that. Mm-hmm. When the when the ethnic when the ethnic missioners get together, when they all get together and bring everyone together, they refer to that gathering as new community, mm-hmm. and so the new community gathering, right? And mm-hmm. so we started talking about multicultural ministry as new community because historically, when you talk about things like multicultural ministry. It's equated with outreach, which automatically makes it a second-class citizen within the church, right? Yeah. And it's so, white normativity from the start. Right, exactly, exactly, exactly. And so that's why new community, beloved community, phrases like that opens this up, which is what we really, really need to do. We, mm-hmm. we, we're, the, the Episcopal Church needs to do this work. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious. We, I, I always say we didn't want to lead with this question because it has a, you know, I think it can have a way of, of shaping the whole conversation. But, um, but we do, uh, you know, as as a seminary and, and in the context of this uh, this article and this this series, um, want to be thinking about like what what changes need to be happening and how leaders are formed in the Episcopal church. So as one person said, Oh, you mean if I could just wave a magic wand and yes, that's the, that's the idea here. Um, if you could wave, wave a wand and make, and make one change to how we form leaders in the Episcopal church, what would, uh, what would that be? I think I wouldn't have us so tied to um, answering the, the GOE questions correctly mm. as really being formed to have an excitement around loving Jesus, following Jesus and helping others to do the same. Mm. And I would also say that if the seminary could do whatever it takes to help leaders learn to be nimble. Mm. Uh, And nimble is a, nimble is a term that's being used a lot right now, Mm -hmm. but I think, I think when I look at how certain clergy from around the country have dealt with the pandemic, they've either embraced what's happening and made it work for them in their contexts, or they felt overwhelmed by it. And Mm. I think the ones that have felt overwhelmed, and I've talked to a number of them, I think it's because they have no sense of how to be nimble. They know how to do things the way they've always been done, Mm. but they can't, they can't pivot. Hmm. They can't pivot. So hmm. anything that can be done in terms of discernment committees to pick up on how um, to pick up on a candidate's willingness or ability to be flexible, to be nimble, um, hmm. rigidity, uh, I think, has to be thrown out of the church. We cannot be we can we do not have the uh, luxury of being rigid. Hmm. Um, 
we do not have that luxury anymore. So embracing practices that that invite people to be sort of thinking about alternatives, to be uh, trying out new ways of uh, new ways of tackling old problems and new problems, that right. sort of thing. Right, and not being not being afraid to experiment. I mean, staying within. Of course, we stay within the guidelines of the canons of the church, but but not being afraid to experiment or to try something new. And if it fails, it fails. You learn something. If it doesn't fail, hooray for you. You go on and maybe you teach somebody else or share with somebody else what you've learned. That's the other thing. For for the seminary not to create clergy that think they have to live in a silo hmm. instead of being part of a community where when you succeed or when I succeed, we all succeed. Hmm. And to help each other do that. Because our contexts, our contexts are all going to be different. I mean, even churches in the same city, their contexts are different. Um, so, so avoiding silos um, between congregations, between leaders, that sort correct, of thing. Correct. Correct. Collegiality and. Um, right. I think. I think the thing. The thing about that is for, for the seminary to teach the clerk, teach the seminarians to work collaboratively. Instead of, you know, this is my paper and this is, you know, mm. teaching people to work collaboratively, because that's really, especially with the way that the church, the church is changing through time. We need to be able to be more, um, we need to be able to work more collegially in order to pull the strengths from the people around us and, and use those strengths for the greater, for the greater good. Right. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah, yeah. So in closing, uh, just want to invite your uh, further advice for a seminary that is, you know, contemplating its its future mission and its future role. Um, uh, what's on, what else, um, what that we haven't talked about or that you want to emphasize uh, is on, on your radar that should, should be on our radar? Em, em, embrace Asia. Embrace mm. Asia. Um, I think that that's, that is a that is an opportunity for the seminary, not only to to do potentially distance learning with some of the dioceses uh, in Asia, but also to do exchanges, student exchange. I mean, there's lots of opportunity there because, especially where this seminary is, uh, with with the growing Asian population that's coming in, it would be a missed opportunity not to not to do this work together. And partner, um, partner with dioceses who would love to do that with CDSP. Bishop Bruce, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. Crossings Conversations is a co-production of Church Divinity School of the Pacific and Trinity Church Wall Street. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or share it with a colleague. You can learn more about the only Episcopal seminary on the West Coast and subscribe to Crossings Magazine at cdsp.edu. Mm-hmm.